Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will include mirth without mischief and merry masquerades as we discuss the ongoing season of Christmas, which is just beginning, as is this episode of Creative Things. Blessed Christmas tide to ye, and welcome to Created Things, the only arts podcast hosted by two amateur ornithologists, but definitely professional merrymakers. I am your host, artist and psychotherapist Jacob Flores Popcheck, and with me as ever is my brilliant friend, medievalist and Catholic priest, Father Gabriel Toretta. How are you doing? Good, sir. What's up, bro? Doing good. Doing good. Sitting here, you know, enjoying days of Christmas to come, Christmas past, Christmas present, all of the above. Christmas past participle. Christmas past participle, yeah. Future Christmas future past perfect participle. Those are those get fun. Yeah. 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 Those ghosts are less popular. Yeah, it's but. weird. Yeah. They're only only for grammarians, and so they're like kind of more boring than the normal ghosts, but um, but more precise. But in fairness, I mean, I feel like grammar Nazis are in need of of uh, paranormal holiday visitations, probably more just, than well, at least at most, least as much so. as the rest of us, surely. Yeah, I mean, ghosts are equal opportunity employers. I respect that. So yeah, I respect that. Yeah, equal opportunity haunters. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, at time of recording, we are in the week leading up to Christmas. At time of airing. Uh, it is immediately after Christmas. So this is our big post Christmas. What is, what is that? They neither you nor I are sportsmen, but this sort of like after the football game, they all sit down and they all like do like sort of debriefing. I was going to call it. it I was going to call stuff. it a debriefing, but I think that's what you do after like a battle, which is different. Yeah. Um, I also think about like after the walking dead, on on tv they would always have a like a show immediately following it called the talking dead which was literally just a panel of comedians just riffing on the episode that had just aired live okay that's brilliant Um, yeah respect so this is sort of that this is the talking dead of of christmas we're sort of sitting down uh to do that but um christmas of course as uh most most priests are very very happy to tell you in their christmas day homilies um does not end on christmas day it is a in fact uh, an ongoing affair yeah to wit um like so i remember when i was a kid you know there's this song the 12 days of christmas of course Mm -hmm. um and to my mind you know christmas began the day after thanksgiving and then it ended um <laughs> in the fullness of december 25th and then like you know on december mm-hmm. 26th you packed up the christmas decorations and then you like you know that was that you wait till like black friday of next year um for christmas to begin again and like i just remember being so genuinely confused by this song like why are they saying that there are only 12 days of christmas when they're like 25 days of christmas plus 
You know, it just like, yeah, it like literally never occurred to me. I mean, this is partly little kid memories because like, I mean, when you're a little kid, everything in your local experience is like the universal experience. There's no difference between the two. Sure. Um, But like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't until um, uh, some time into my being Catholic that I realized that there were 12 days of Christmas that began on christmas and that like then went over to some other date which seemed like kind of unnecessary because we just had four weeks of christmas arguably five yeah it's so i'm always re-surprised by the differences in in our kind of cultural experience growing up right because you were not raised catholic you came into it later and now have you know become a, a monk essentially right so you've 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 vastly outpaced me um Whereas I was sort of raised, I was homeschooled, I was raised like uber Catholic, and then I've sort of become more uh, nuanced and deconstructed in my adulthood. So we have the kind of the reverse experiences a little, I mean, not quite, but you know what I mean. Um, and I was keenly aware because everyone was was more than happy to tell me that, you know, oh, you know, Advent is really supposed to be this very, you know, Advent that being the season leading up to Christmas is supposed to be this sort of dour time of, of dourness and fasting and, and all of us mutually agreeing that to, to pretend that Jesus definitely isn't born yet. And that it's not a historical reality. And we're all going to pretend that Jesus isn't born yet. So to increase our desire for him and then on Christmas day itself, Christmas will start and, and it will last then for, for 12 days so that the, the Christmas that you and I know is in fact uh, just the kickoff of a 12 day season. Um, which according to tradition um, is, is it, it, it's leading it's, it's the season between, you know, of course, Christmas day, Jesus is born. And then 12 days later when the, the Magi, the wise men arrive. So this is, this is sort of the season that the 12 days of Christmas is supposed to describe. And I was sort of, um, this is not a tradition that my parents kept, but it was something that I was intellectually aware of pretty early on. Um, and that sort of, I rebelled against a little bit culturally because I loved uh, as, as will not surprise anyone who listens to this podcast. I, I loved the whole sort of <laughs> like gear up hardcore for Christmas. The second Thanksgiving is over maybe a little bit before, uh, kind of thing. I, I often joke and, and still kind of hold true anthropologically anyway, that, that Thanksgiving is to Advent and Christmas. What, uh, Mardi Gras is to, uh, Lent and Easter that Thanksgiving yeah, is just a sort of it's the kind of empty feast to kick off the season of preparation before the season of more deep meaningful feasting uh, uh yeah I've never exactly thought about it like that but it is it is fair I mean it usually start I mean the advent usually starts um like what the Sunday the Sunday after Thanksgiving or something that's just a couple of days later yeah. and uh it's yeah that's not that's not crazy actually because in i mean of course it's accidental for us it's just because it's a harvest festival or whatever but like but i think like there are certain things that just work for human beings yeah, yeah. right like yeah, this yeah. is when you get into folklore or anthropology like there are certain things that just we just vibe with um that you see repeat throughout different human cultures and like a big feast kickoff before a season of preparation leading up to a much more meaningful celebration is like kind of a common motif in the way humans celebrate. It makes sense. And I think Thanksgiving yeah. has just sort of de facto earned that, that place because nobody really cares what Thanksgiving is actually celebrating unless you're like weird and alt-right. So 
the 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 majority of people right are just doing it because it's like a fun way to eat and watch football on a parade yeah, you hang away with right? your family and, you know and then like yeah yeah and then you ostensibly sort of like fast ish for a month and then you like then you have christmas and you party on um which okay so interestingly um and tip- typically um when thinking about this um i i went ahead and looked at some of my some of my old scholarly books um and it looks like the first sort of clearest mention of these two dates you know december 25th and then january 6th um as like um a unit and all the like the days between being a a unit that's considered like as one thing so like what we could think of as like the 12 days of christmas that we could hypothetically we'll talk about this write a song about um it seems like the first time that this happens that we have a clear record of it is in 567. There's a council, there's a council um, in Tours in France. Um, council of Tours. They were touring around France. They were just, they were having some tours. They did this council. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were arguably toursing to France. Yeah. Um, and when they were touring <laughs> to France in 567, they, they decided to write about this. And so they said, um, it's actually in the context of talking about fasts. Interestingly, um, it's talking about like different mm-hmm. fasts, like when, when you're supposed to fast during the year. Um, and so it says like, um, well, you're going to fast for all of December, uh, in preparation for, um, the birth of Christ. Um, and then it says, um, uh, and because all every day between, the, the the birth of Christ and Epiphany, so that's December twenty fifth and January sixth, um, are feasts, and then it goes on to explain um, some interesting things about like what they've done to, to like substitute Christian practices for um, pagan practices on New Year's actually December first, oh January first, which is interesting, um, like our our New Year's at least. Um, but uh, but anyway, so it's like it's this kind of brief passing reference, but this seems to be what people discuss as like the first time that these two dates are talked about, like in a single breath is belonging to the same thing. And that every day there is a is like a liturgically considered or from a Christian perspective considered as like a single time of celebration and festivity. Um, mm-hmm. But like just really briefly, that's that's a pretty natural and organic development from the history of the ways in which these days come about. So um, uh, the briefest version is that around 336 um, in Rome under Constantine, the first Christian emperor, um, Rome starts celebrating December 25th. Uh, as the birthday of Christ, there's a back history to that before the before um, before the emperors are Christian, um, but that's a, that's perhaps a different story. Um, uh, but it's building, so it's building on a, a third century pagan tradition. Um, so not super old, but some third century pagan tradition. Um, and then in 336, Constantine says, "All right, so this is we're gonna like in Rome, we're gonna celebrate this as the nativity of Christ." Um, Generally, people had been celebrating um, January 6th as the Nativity of Christ. Um, So that seems Uh to be the sort of like, and they're celebrating sort of everything. So like, right. Yeah. Magi, the same way that we do. Most of us culturally today. Yeah. 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 So they're kind of celebrating everything as one big, like everything to do with like the first three chapters of Luke or, you know, the first chapters of of matthew or whatever um everything all um being celebrated kind of on january 6th 
um, many of the churches in like the the very important eastern parts of the of the Christian um, world. So like uh, Cappadocia and what's now Turkey, which is which is like sort of major, 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 major um, center of Christianity at the time, um, switches to match Rome's dating in the early fourth century. So pretty, so pretty quickly, very quickly, actually, after, after Rome makes the switch, um, they make the switch, um, other places hold on for a little bit longer. So like Jerusalem, um, which was also of course, um, an early and major, um, center of Christianity only switches to start celebrating Christmas on, you know, separating the birth of Christ as a separate feast from like, say the adoration of the Magi and everything else that that entails separate celebrating, Mm -hmm. separating those two and then separating that celebrating on december 25th they start doing that in like the sixth century and i want to interject here only because i think there is this narrative and we've talked about this before that that you know whenever religion is it's a it's a you know secular narrative but but the narrative goes that basically whenever religion is making something official it's always to suppress or repress something else um, you know, oh, we're we're coming in and we're forcing down the poor pagans, and we're you know putting Christmas in its place, and that's just really not what what happened here specifically. I mean, the pagan tradition you're referring to is is this idea that um, men were always like great heroes were always conceived on on or always died on the same day that they were conceived, and so there was this understanding in in that tradition that okay well jesus must be a great hero okay great so and we we basically know more or less according to tradition when the annunciation happened this is when he's conceived so we're going to go exactly nine months from there that's that's december 25th um so perfect that's when we're going to celebrate christmas and so the king is you know the emperor is basically saying all right guys like all the different local communities have celebrated Christmas at the times that sort of make sense to them. But I'm just kind of making this executive decision that we're all kind of going to put it in this day. And nobody's getting, you know, suppressed by this, but this is what you have to, you know, with, with a modern lens, you know, if the president now were to say, Hey, we're all shifting this date, everyone would be up in arms because we live in a nationalistic society where we're all looking to, you know, the president to, to sort of safeguard us in that way. But this is a different thing where people all have local customs and there is this kind of understanding that if I go one town away, they might celebrate Christmas on a completely different day than I do. And that's okay with me, right? There's not, so, so the emperor kind of coming in and saying, Hey, let's all get on the same page because this one is particularly important. That's not ruffling feathers. That's not suppressing people. That's just what we kind of expect the king to do. That's sort of his job to get us all on the same page that way. Yeah, there's definitely a very different sense of like what's, um, I mean, this is not a democratic society, okay? So there's a totally different sense of like what is, what it behooves the leader to do and to be in charge of. Um, and like, so yeah, so that's, that's a big thing. Um, and even the relationship between Christianity, this new fangled religion and quote unquote paganism, which is hardly a monolith and like every different place is a totally different religion and it's sort of problematic historically to refer to it just generally as paganism. But like very rarely, you know, are Christians coming in and saying, okay, pagans, we're not going to do blank anymore. We're going to do blank instead. And the pagans just kind of all going along with this. Hey guys, sword that, sounds, point. that sounds great. Right. Well, but the, but well, because everybody knows that like, no one would do that. So then there's, it's assumed that like Christians are just sort of threatening them into doing it, but it really isn't. I mean, just from a, I'm not even saying that Christians were always unilaterally good enough to not do that because certainly by the 1700s, they were in in many cases with colonialism and things. But for the most, most of the history of the church, 
we were sort of the little guy, right? So there was really not the, the industry or the systems to be able to go in and start threatening people, right? Like most of the time when we say, oh, this feast supplanted uh, a pagan feast, it was in a complimentary way. Like, like I'm saying here. So there's this pagan tradition that a great hero dies on the day he was conceived. Okay. We know basically, uh, or, or was born on the day he dies, excuse me. So, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, kind of do the math of that. And, and that's honoring the pagan tradition and building that into Christianity. That's not supplanting this pagan tradition. And I think that's important to recognize that there's this sort of complementarity and natural evolution that, that isn't necessarily happening at sword point all the time. Yeah. I mean, certainly not by the sword point. I, I would, I, I would actually push back a little bit on this one because I think there is a, I think there is a clear, um, I think there is a strong sense of supplanting going on here, and I don't, I don't hmm. think that's a bad thing at all. Um, but I guess let me let me give back up and give it just a second of the of the sort of back history for for why this date, sure, yeah, yeah, um, which I uh, which I think just puts an interesting context and in, and what you were offering there. So, um, uh, so one is so you make that interesting point about like the conception, is it bir- birthday or conception day, and like death day being the same. Um, there's apparently, I was looking at this a little bit, um, cause I, I have myself heard and read different things from scholarly practices and like, so basically it's a, it's kind of disputed in the literature about whether, um, Christians have the date of the annunciation, which is so the conception of Christ, um, which ever since we've had a date for it has been March 25th, um, whether that's the first date that we have or whether it's. December 25th. So clearly the two dates are linked, um, but there's some dispute mm-hmm. about, about which one is primary, which one depends upon which. Um, oh, interesting. There's a, there, there's, it seems like there's a bit of a majority opinion that um, Christmas is first and that, uh, that the Annunciation depends upon it rather than the other way around. Um, but that's not a universal opinion. And they do, they do, there does appear to be good grounds for, for, there's enough historical uncertainty about it that one can one can think either way. Um, so that's just an interesting point to offer because because um, either one of them is very interesting and very significant, you know. Um, and if, if whether we can come to an absolutely historically firm resolution or not, you know, which I think is interesting. Um, but in terms of like the supplanting or replacing, um, you mentioned the sort of diversity of the phenomena that we call like paganism, and that's a really helpful idea. Um, is a, particularly to point out here. So, um, you know, like in a contemporary framework, we might think of like, oh my gosh, you know, Christians coming in and using like violence and power to like suppress this ancient tradition that people that was very meaningful and that's like ripping up the culture and that's awful in this. Um, but like, let's just take take this and put it in its own context. So um, like why December 25th at all? Like, well, obviously there's a natural connection there because of the equinox, you know, and the darkest darkest time of the year uh, and the, the when the days start to grow lighter again. So that's totally natural. Um, that's going to be a, a, because humans are embodied, that's built into the rhythm of our experience of our lives, you know? Um, so it's natural. Yeah, most, most groups just have a, a light holiday exactly, around that time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's totally, totally intuitive. Um, in the early third century in Egypt, this starts being recognized as um, December 25th specifically starts being observed as the birthday of the sun. Um, so let's just note, oh, this is the third century after Christ. So this is already not like a super ancient thing. Um, this is this is already um, newer than Christianity, although 
um, older than sort of like legal imperial Christianity. Um, sure, sure, sure. So beginning of the third century, Egypt um, establishes the birthday of the sun. Um, long, complicated, this, that, and the other. But um, uh, Emperor Aurelian, um, sorry, Aurelius, uh, who rules from, I believe, 270 to 275, um, he is super duper duper into um, this relatively new... Um, uh divinity cult uh soul Invict- invictus the undefeated sun um uh, which has a whole fascinating history i won't get into but um he is a major major devotee and he wants to make this an imperial thing like he wants to get like throw the weight of the of the empire and uh the imperial throne behind like soul invictus um and so he is he is he takes something from this egyptian custom uh, and in 274, he builds a big temple to Sol Invictus, to the to the unconquered sun, um, and officially establishes for the Roman Empire December 25th as the feast day um, of the, the the nativity of the unconquered sun. Um, oh, crazy! Okay. Yeah, so it's um, so it's not of ancient mint, right? So it's it starts on descent on on like. 274 is the first time that this yeah is, that, that this it itself is a newfangled tradition so it's a it's a newfangled tradition building on some older traditions that would have been sort of in the air but not really roman yet you know because egyptian mm-hmm. egyptian religion was very suspect um in in rome in rome actually um, it's, it's sort of i mean it's sort of an example of kind of classic exoticism right like in the same way yeah, that yeah. oh, yeah, in oh the yeah 1800s like the british were just like everything was chinese or hindu or chinese yeah yeah yeah, totally. we're gonna have decoration from all the places we've colonized. Totally. Right? Well, in the same exact way, the Roman Emperor is being like, "Yeah, we just colonized Egypt, and I'm going to sort of reinterpret some of their traditions in my own way, create my own holiday based on that, and decorate with it because colonizers gonna gonna Got colonize." colonize. Um, there's there's a then there's a really strong connection. Um, Constantine, so he's the first Christian emperor. Um, I Constantine's dad. Uh, was a very, very, very passionate devotee of Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. Um, so he was a kind of monothe- monotheist, a kind of pagan monotheist, um, Constantine's dad, um, who was primarily devoted to the unconquered sun. Um, and there's this very complex, uh, much, much um, uh, controverted uh, history for Constantine himself about because he he was originally a, a, a devotee of the unconquered son himself um and there's a much controverted question about like when does he stop being a devotee of the unconquered son when does he become a, a devotee of like the unconquered son of god jesus christ um and like how does this happen what does this happen whatever 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 anyway that's that doesn't concern and us how but much does he see one can uh, being a continuation of the exactly. other etc so, and so forth yeah. so for him and like keep let's keep in mind that this really this was like an imperial decision you know um Constantine was big into this stuff um so he establishes um december 25th as the birthday of the unconquered now we're using an english pun son of god jesus christ mm-hmm. um so for so it's not exactly that um it's a sort of a repression i mean this is not like an like an like an avatar situation here um but it's it's uh <laughs> it's a it's a continuation of different like uh it's a continuation of different religious waves um, sort of morphing one thing into another, into another, into another, and then it takes this really definitive form um, 
in basically 336 um with uh with this being the date for, for for Christians celebrating the Son of God, um, so in fact it's actually like a like a surprisingly enculturated, like surprisingly like attentive to local to local um, signification of times and dates. Um, so rather than being like super a, organic, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. So I would I would say rather than this being like a like a this reprehensible sort of top down act of violence, it's um it's actually this. It is something that would have only emerged from um, Imperial Roman culture um, becoming Christian uh, in the specific context of Imperial Roman culture having be- having become heavily influenced by um, the cult of the unconquered son, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it keeps winding back. So, um, so yeah, so, so there, there's, I mean, so yes, this is very, this is very strongly connected with, um, with the uh, especially third century um, non-Christian Roman traditions of worship um, and like imperial cult and these kinds of things, um, which gets um, a sort of definitive and actually like supernatural transformation in like establishing that this is the beginning of like, this is when we celebrate the birth of Christ, um, which doesn't. Which we're uh, right. Which, which again, we need to recognize is being celebrated. People are celebrating celebrated as, as on January 6th. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so right. it's so not now, being invented from whole cloth. It's just we're all kind of deciding to pull our shit together and do this all on one day. So and I think it's important, too, because some people think like, oh, Christians are just inventing a new holiday. It's like, no, we were already celebrating it. We all just kind of moved it. And to bring this back to 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 now and sort of the, the 12 days of Christmas now, I mean, you've been very helpful for me in, in understanding like most of the ways we do things in the modern era are very, very new and are completely different from how things were kind of always done regardless of culture. And one of the big ways you taught me this was in our episode on relics, right? I was very disturbed by this idea of, Hey, you know, this was a holy person. So once they're dead, let's, you know, chop them up into a thousand pieces and ship them off to every church on the face of the planet. I was disturbed by this because I come from the modern perspective that if something is holy, it is to be, um, maintained at all costs right it's it's to be kind of held in in place at all costs but you pointed out that basically for every culture for most of human history the idea is no if something is holy and has sacred power of any kind you want to spread it out across the planet as far as it can go because you want to you you, you want to spread that power that's that's amazing right and so that's just one example of of kind of these very different conceptions and with the 12 days of christmas thing um there's kind of two things playing in here that we really have to understand one being the idea of movable feasts, right? That, that, you know, people didn't care as much as we do now when things happened, they cared that they happened, right? It was important that these people were celebrating the birth of Christ and they weren't like, they didn't care that it was happening on the sixth or the 20th. That, that didn't matter that much to them because what matters to them is just celebrating the birth of Christ. We're oh, people man. who care a lot more culturally about dates than than the ancients did in terms of like regular practice. Certainly there are scholars and things who care about like exactly what dates ha- things happen on. But like for the average person who's just celebrating, it's like, do I care if it's like a week later? Not really. And so like this idea of movable feasts becomes really important within Christianity. And then the other thing to go back to what you were saying before, and, and I'm, I'm sort of looping us back to the the kind of modern celebration of this. But the other thing that I think is really important per your experience as a child is like the modern way of experiencing 
um, celebration is through countdown, right? Like this sort of Casey Kasem, like counting down the today's top hits, right? And that's how we celebrate everything. It's like we count down to stuff. But for most of of history, right? These holidays, we didn't have weekends, right? So we had we had holidays, we had big seasonal holidays that were several a month, and so you know, Christmas was sort of. Like, if you want to understand how the ancients treat Christmas, it's very much how you and I treat Friday, right? Like, oh, you know, December 25th has just hit. It's Friday. That begins this season of celebrating and fun now. And so that's how we can sort of get the 12 days of Christmas that way. And it's not it's not this sort of bumming like, oh, we can't celebrate Christmas up till then. It's it's much more like, no, no, it's it's Friday now. Time to actually kick off our our shoes and let our hair down and, and, and celebrate a little bit. I just think it's it's important to put ourselves in that mindset of how everybody celebrated everything before five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I do think that's really helpful. I hadn't, I hadn't exactly, I hadn't made the connection with the like, yeah, bro, there's no weekends. Like this is like, this is when things start. And that's, but I think it's a really helpful point. And what I just had to, because like, uh, I've been so immersed in this stuff for a while, you know, like how Christians celebrated these feast days in like much earlier times that like, until you made that point, like, it just hadn't even occurred to me. I said, like, well, when was Christ born? Obviously, December 25th to January 6th. <laughs> it's like, um, bro, babies aren't born in 12 days. But, bro, he was born December 25th to January 6th. Like, Can you imagine you, if a cult rose up around that, though? Like, Mary just had, like, an excruciatingly <laughs> long 12-day labor. 12-day 12, 12 parturition. Um, yes. Yeah, that would, God. That would be that's the worst thing I've ever that would, Yeah, that's, like, basically the worst thing ever. Um, yeah. No, but that's that's hilarious. Because, no, it's totally true. You're just like, all right, no. I mean, obviously, obviously, Christ is born on... We celebrate the birth of Christ on January 6th. Obviously, we celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th. Obviously, we celebrate it from December 25th to January 6th. What's your point? Um, yeah. which I think you're right is like a really good example of like the difference between, um, historical mindsets because like, this is not considered un ahistorically or unhistorically. Like it's not that the, well, it's the, the historical birth doesn't matter. It's, it's like that is, yeah, that is, yeah. When is it? Well, it's December 25th to January 6th. Absolutely. Well, cause, uh, most people don't know when they're born. They know roughly like the month or the season that I, that they were born, but most people don't know when they were born personally. Or at least it's not. Most of yeah, at least tradition. it's not what you celebrate exactly. Um, right. So like you, so. So just this idea of and and also the idea of date and countdown culture is a capitalistic one, and I'm not saying that with any sense of judgment necessarily. It's just objective truth. Countdown culture is a capitalistic invention of of capitalistic culture where. Uh, sort of saint day and feast day that sort of it's friday time to party culture is an agrarian one right where you are you're working all the time you're taking care of your your animals you're taking care of you know all this stuff and then here comes the feast day and it begins a season of feasting whereas in a capitalistic society you have to kind of shift that to a countdown culture because i've got to sell you stuff all the way up until that date Right. And so there's just a very different kind of, you know, even on Christmas Day, it's like, okay, no, we're slaughtering the animals today and we're going to eat them for the next 12 days. Right. Whereas with, you know, a capitalistic society where I'm selling you everything, I need the full season from Black Friday to Christmas to sell you shit. And then once Christmas is over, like I'll move on to the next thing to sell you for. And again, I'm not necessarily casting judgment on either of those systems. I just think it's, it's really important to kind of put ourselves in 
in that differentiated mindset when we're talking about how something like the 12 days of Christmas uh, builds up. But I never, I never would have thought but, of Friday, Friday, gotta get down with Friday as an agrarian anthem, but I'm glad to know that it is. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, it's, it's one of, it's, it's a repeated point that we come back to that Rebecca Black really was the sage of our time. Yeah. Um, in any case, what I'm kind of fascinated to talk to you about, we're sort of doing one of our survey episodes here, which, which I like. Um, but one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was the different art that kind of stems from the 12 days of Christmas, right? A couple of the, the best examples, because this of course is an arts podcast. And particularly for me, you know, the 12 days of Christmas was a very artsy time because because of this sort of countdown culture that we all grow up in, you know, the season leading up to Christmas Day is extremely busy, fun. I always love it, right? But extremely busy. Whereas, you know, depending on when Christmas falls, most people get a couple of days off in between Christmas and New Year. Um, and there is at least some semblance of that. Hey, in the in the in the 12 days following Christmas, we're gonna relax together. And so for for me, that was often the time that like the day after Christmas, I'd be sitting there painting all day. Oh, cool. Right? Oh, that's or, great. Yeah. Right. Or, or those kinds of, th- or, or, you know, experimenting with the new art set that I got for Christmas. And I think, you know, a lot of kids have that experience um, where there's an exploratory sort of artistic thing that can happen in the immediate wake of the, of the holiday explosion. Um and culturally, I think this is true. We've we've gotten a lot of really, really rich, weird, quirky uh, pieces of art that have stood the test of time. One of those, of course, you mentioned, um, is this this song, "The Twelve Days of Christmas." Yeah, I mean, we can't talk about the Twelve Days of Christmas without without talking about. Don't misunderstand me. The Twelve Days of Christmas, <laughs> because because <Right. laughs> uh, really, I mean, I mean, like I said, this was my this was my first and for like a long time only introduction to the notion that there were 12 days of Christmas. I mean, I'd heard of the sh- of the Shakespeare play 12th night, but I just assumed it was about s- some random 12th night following an 11th. So that was going to be, that was actually going to be one of the other big pieces of art I mentioned. So I'm glad you threw it. <laughs> yeah. Out yeah. Well, yeah. 12th night and 12 days of Christmas are two of these like sort of medieval things that, that are absolutely part of our modern culture. Uh, but in this very leftover way, like we don't really know why, but they're in the fridge if you want them. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So listen, so we talked, so we had this like long, uh, very typical, um, sort of like historical background about how the day of the day of Christ's birth gets, um, his stretched historically from January 6th to December 25th and then gets firmly pinned on both dates. Uh, but because it's mm. been stretched from one to the other, um, it actually ends up just stretching from one to the other. So now we just literally have 12 days of Christmas. Um, so from from like Christian's festive celebration, it's just like I said, well, when is Christ born? Well, December 25th to January 6th, duh, which is why we celebrate it from Jan- December 25th to January 6th. Um, but of course, like this, because this is this like this, be- this is this big um uh, this shapes a whole culture, a whole cluster, a whole yeah, a whole sort of nebula of cult of cultures around it. Um, you get all the kinds of this ends up reflecting the notion that you have twelve days of celebration, um, mapping very comfortably onto the natural 
desire of the human heart to like begin celebrating after the um shortest day of the year um Mm -hmm. this like this is a very natural movement of the heart that like very understandably kind of gloms onto this like very enthusiastic christian notion of celebrating the birth of christ for 12 um straight days and like and so so we so to me it's very intuitive that you get these uh, cultural phenomena artistic phenomena about it even when they're not like explicitly in any way connected with the birth of christ like the song the 12 days of christmas which has you know I mean, here's I'm going to betray my ignorance here, and I hope that you can enlighten me. Um, I have like I have heard people try to give like sort of historical allegorical readings of the 12 days of Christmas, sometimes with enthusiastic Christian interpretations, sometimes not. Uh, And I admit my Mm -hmm. eyes kind of glaze over because it's just like, I don't care who the 12 lords of leaping are. Right, right. Well, so um, that there is a theory. Okay, it the the theory goes that um so this is actually very important um whether or not the theory is true the 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 historical reality that the theory is pointing to is really important when we talk about christmas so there's a period of time immediately following the uh the monarchy of charles the first where puritans take over england they basically run a coup in parliament take over england um puritans we did it guys white roughs for everybody right so england is already protestant by this point um it's anglican uh but so and they've already sort of rejected catholicism um but for the puritans anglicanism is way too catholic still they don't believe that you should celebrate anything this whole idea of you know like we've been talking about times of fasting and feasting um, that the Catholics had, and it's a very sort of yin and yang kind of an idea. Like we're going to have a season of feasting and then we're going to have a season of fasting to compensate for that. And then we're going to have another season of feasting to compensate for that. And it's, they're, they're very, you know, in, in union with another, with one another, uh, for, for Puritans, that is bullshit. We don't celebrate anything. So they make one of the first things they do, they make Christmas illegal. They make wearing color illegal. They make sport uh, like tennis and they make theater illegal. Um, and they just kind of, kind of take over, over every Christmas tennis. Um, in fact, going to church on Christmas becomes illegal Is because they're so, oh, yeah, wow. because they're so concerned about the idea of people celebrating too much. Mm. So it becomes sort of a Jehovah's witness kind of a thing mm. where like, mm. we don't, we don't even go to church on Christmas on pain of arrest or death. Um, it was really, really extreme, right? Um, eventually, Charles II, this is, you know, King Charles' son, comes back in. He's known as the party prince. He ah, comes back in and he, like, kicks awesome. the presence out, reinstitutes Christmas, um, reinstitutes. This is actually kind of why Shakespeare becomes a hit because theater is made illegal for such a long period of time oh, that when people start sure. digging out plays again, anything that was written that was too relevant to the time it was written in uh, no longer is fun. And there haven't been new playwrights in like a really long time. And so Shakespeare has written these sort of pantomime folktale type things that kind of work in any day and age. And so they really hit um, when, and in particular, Twelfth Night really hits. Um, because it's this Christmas play and we're all trying to kind of reinvigorate and rediscover Christmas after it was made illegal for this long period of time. And, and lots of other really cool art comes out of this. One of my favorite pantomimes is a, is an actual trial of a mock trial of Santa. Yes. <laughs> called how, how the trial of old. 
um, literally comes out of like the the tail end of the persecution. So it's very oh, very no old. Way. And it, oh no way! It, okay, it's called the 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 trial of Old Father Christmas. And there's there's um, virtues on both sides debating him. Like some virtues are arguing on his behalf, and some virtues are accusing him. And they all have like fish heads and stuff like this. And poor Santa's just like sitting in the in the box, like waiting to get his verdict. That's amazing. Um, it's 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 a really funny play. Um, if you like old English, um, hey, who, but, do, who don't? Uh, right. But anyway, so um, there is this tremendous persecution of Christmas and of anything that seems too Catholic y during this period of time. And so this theory emerges in, fast forward, the 1970s. Yes. That the 12 days of Christmas, which does date back to shortly after that time, was originally a a memory tool, a mnemonic device for remembering important different elements of Catholic teaching uh, without letting anyone know what you were talking about. Huh, so okay. the, the, so the partridge and the pear tree partridges very famously uh, at that time anyway, would pretend to be wounded in order to distract a predator away from its nest uh, so that the babies could survive and that it would like sacrifice itself basically. Mm. Um, so partridges become sort of one of the many different medieval uh, allusions to Christ. And this is something you and I have talked about a lot that kind of from the, from the Christian perspective, pre-modern era, um, if God is the artist of the universe, then literally everything must symbolize him in some way. And so partridges become associated with this idea of sacrifice, uh, sacrificing for your children, um, Christ on the cross. And so partridge in a pear tree, right, in this fruitful tree on the cross, the wood of the cross, the tree. Um, hmm. And then it builds out from there. Um, the the what is it? I forget all of them. I know I know th- uh, four calling birds is the four gospels, um, et cetera, and so forth. There, there's not a lot of historical record to support this. Um, this sure. is a theory that emerges in the 70s. But the argument that people who subscribe to this theory make is that, well, of course, there isn't a lot of historical record to support this because it was a secret song. Why would anyone have written down what the song meant? Because the it thing about how secrets song. work. Now, what we do know is that it wasn't originally a song, that it was actually a rhyming game. So in 1780, oh, sure. a book is published called Mirth Without Mischief. Um, Better than Mischief uh, Without Mirth, which, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, can you imagine just like joyless mischief? Just I'm playing this prank, but I'm not happy about mirth. it. Yeah, this is going to oh, you're going to be miserable prank. doing this. Everyone's going to be miserable when you do it. Have fun. That's Here's so a whole fun. book of them. But yeah, uh, 1780 is the first time this is actually printed in England. And it's it's uh, which is a good amount of time after yeah, yeah, the persecution. Right. So yeah. it's obviously existed in public culture for a long period of time. Um. And um, and it's finally just written down, and and it basically is almost the same thing, which is weird because a lot of nursery rhymes um, dating back that long have been changed a lot. Sure, in the modern era, this is basically the same, going all the way back to 1780. The only big difference is that a few of the animals are reversed in order, and then um, uh, calling birds is actually collie birds. Which I don't know what the hell a collie bird is. It's but well, that, it's like a, it's like a cauliflower, but it's a collie bird. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, disgusting and only good when covered in cheese. Yeah, um, and if you boil it, it makes the and, whole husk smell like poo. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's pretty clear that in the origins of 
the quote unquote song. It's not a song at all. It is a clapping rhyming game. So like one of the adults says on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And then all the kids say back a partridge in a pear tree. And mm. then you're awarded, you're awarded points based on Ooh, which ones you remember I like points um, and kind of everyone stands in a circle and bounces back and forth. So, but again, whether it has anything to do with sort of a weird Christian, uh, you know, subliminal codex, it's, and it's, it's an example of this kind of thing that you're talking about that having 12 days off generates really fun, artistic, weird, quirky things because you're just occupying your time. You're having plays, you're having songs, you're having pantomimes. And so, yeah, we're all going to stand in a circle. We're going to play this nonsense rhyming game. And maybe it ends up having something to do with Christianity. Um, Iona and Peter Opie in the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes posed a couple of alternative theories. Oh, yeah? That um, that it it has more to do with um, the the different seasons, like the different months of the year leading up to Christmas. Oh, huh. Um, and oh, the different cool. kind of like weather patterns and livestock things. So it's sort of like a farmer's almanac leading up to Christmas on the first day of Christmas partridge. And then you kind of go through. Um, but they basically said there's no way to know. Like th- that's that's the other big theory, but there's there's kind of no way to know. And and either way, what it represents is this this period of time for creative pursuit between Christmas and, and epiphany that I think from an arts and culture podcast standpoint is like very, very important, you know, like rhyming games and songs and plays and, and all the kinds of things that giving yourself a few days off to really celebrate and get creative uh, can create. I think, yeah, it's just really inspiring to me on that level. Yeah. And that it, yeah, exactly. That it emerges from this. um, uh, I mean, I think it's just such a great example because um Again, like does twelve the twelve days of Christmas as a as a rhyme or rhyming game um, song have anything to do with like the span of time from December twenty fifth to January sixth, which has its own like very specific historical liturgical like uh, celebratory context? Like, well, yes and no. You know, I mean, yes and no. Like, it just turns out that when you create a space of time. Um, that has like natural signification. So the, the lengthening of the days and stuff, um, that is like then profoundly transformed, um, by a supernatural signification of, of, um, uh, this deep, this deep, uh, religious significance of the birth of the savior and then the coming of the, of the magi, um, and everything that happens in between that, um, people just can't leave that alone. You know, like you just, you just mm-hmm. can't leave that alone. Like you have to, you have to make songs for it. You have to make games for it. You have to make festivities and celebrations uh, and various things that you do, you know, um, you just have to. And so the fact that this, this, this thing, the 12, 12 days of Christmas emerges from this is like, yes, yes, this is just exactly, this is just what the, the human heart has to do. Like we have these 12 days of celebration and feasting and we just have to make something of it. It can't just be kind of like 12 days of like um, whatever, pounding down beers or like 12 days of, of just working, like nothing could happen. It, it has to be marked mm-hmm. out somehow. Um, yeah. And these ways- Which is ultimately why the Puritan occupation doesn't survive because people just don't stand for it it just has to it has to be marked yeah it has to be marked somehow you know and i and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's amazing where like i think we can too easily draw 
in just in general, you know, it's a little bit too easy to draw a line between like, oh, what's a secular tradition? What's a sacred t- tradition? Um, mm-hmm. Because like 12 Days of Christmas is a great example of like, ah, is it a sacred, is it a secular tradition? Oh, sure. Is it a sacred tradition? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, but what I love is that is actually what the real like celebration of the 12 Days of Christmas is kind of about, right? And hear me out on this, but the the whole idea so so for those i mean you obviously know this but for for those who don't know um the idea of like three kings coming to visit christ is like a much much later add on to uh christmas celebrations right the 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 scriptures themselves refer to these guys as as magi or magi or wise men right and and this is very clearly no, a no, um, number undetermined um number undetermined yeah uh thank you for that clarification um this is this is clearly referring to pagan magicians of some kind, and most historians agree that this is probably referring to uh, Zoroastrian priests, yeah, or, or astrologers, um, or astrologers at the right, very least, right. yeah. yeah, 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 right. And so there's there is this idea of um, pagan, richly nature connected uh, sages of some kind responding to the disruption of nature that has just occurred by the creator of the universe taking on flesh by, by the creator of all that is material taking on material. Right. And so, you know, the, the 12 days of Christmas theologically is literally, we start off with the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God taking on flesh. And then we see paganism, nature, and those who are connected to it, then f- rolling over and responding to that. And so the 25th is the incarnation, you know, God entering into nature. And then this, the, the, the fifth or sixth is, is nature then turning in and responding to that disruption in a complementary way. And so all these traditions then that arise out of the 12 days of Christmas, I don't think it is incidental or accidental that they all have that semblance to them, that, that there is something inherently at least a little religious about something like the nonsense song of 12 days of Christmas. But then there's also just delightfully kind of pagan naturey, culturally nonsense that's applied to it too. And that's no less significant. In fact, that is kind of a microcosm of what these 12 days are about, or even the Shakespeare play 12th night where there are definitely some, you know, really beautiful, mysterious, meaningful things in there. And then there's also just like running around being silly and getting drunk and playing pranks on your Puritan friend, right? Like, you know, there's, there's just so much in there and, and, that split of, well, what's a secular tradition? What's a religious tradition is another one of those things. It's a super modern way of viewing the world. Right. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, definitely. But it's, but I think, you know, it's not just, Oh, people before now see religion and secular as being just kind of one muddled up thing. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's that Christmas itself, those 12 days are the celebration of the sacred and the material, the, the sacred and the profane coming together in this beautiful symphony. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, you know, so for instance, um, one, there's one branch of, um, 12th night celebration. So either the nativity, uh, excuse me, either epiphany on the sixth or the day before on the fifth. Um, there's one branch of 12th night traditions where like, um uh you have a party and um it's so it's a it's a modality of the classic kind of like 
fancy party or fancy ball or masquerade or whatever. Uh, but its specific nature is that um, men and women dress in each other's clothes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, which I think is particularly hilarious. And it's um, uh, and it's you say like, well, what does that have to do with anything? You know, I mean, other than just like people like to wear fancy clothes and people like to wear funny costumes. And like if you have a whole group of people and everyone wears each other's clothes like this has its own sort of hilarity to it and ribaldry and whatever and all the rest. Um which is all great. Um, but uh, but there is also, I mean, I, I, I would be willing to make a case that this is also tapping into the same drama that you're pointing to, which is that like there is something about this um, signifying like the topsy-turvydom of the world, right? So like the, right, so yeah. the, the, king, the king of kings is born like naked in a, in a stable or a cave. Um, the, the, the light of all lights is like born in the darkness of a cave um, under a mountain or whatever. And um, – uh yeah and all of this like the help the helplessness of the of the infant child uh and the and his supreme divinity um like that that the the things that are weakest in the world here is revealed to be the truest power and everything that seemed to be the most powerful in the these, world is revealed the most weak the weakest um these sort of delightful uh, yet sacred contradictions that chesterton often talks yeah about. it's very chesterton i mean this is what chesterton is doing you know like he's he's tapping into in a very real way, because a, a lot of like the Twelfth Night, tw- Twelve Days of Christmas kind of stuff that you and I know just ha- happen to be very English for obvious reasons. And um, I, you know, Chesterton is just, just just full of this. You could say that this is a man whose who's like whole way of thinking about the world is informed by the Twelve Days of Christmas, you know, um, and by this like topsy turvydom of the world. Um, which you do see. I mean, like England is just packed, packed to brimming. Um with uh with in addition to 12 lords of leaping also um topsy-turvy sort of like uh amok carnival type uh celebrations from december 25th until january 6th um sometimes on various days sometimes just in the beginning and the ending days whatever whatever but usually involving like fancy dress something things things being sort of the opposite of the way that they should be um and like lots of eating and drinking for obvious reasons um and going and creating art. I mean, even just the idea of these these big um, these big masquerades, right? Like I remember reading about the big masquerades that would happen on on the feast of the Epiphany on the sixth, or or on the eve of it on the fifth. And like sometimes it was this, you know, we're going to wear each other's clothes kind of thing. But sometimes it was these really elaborate like masquerade balls. Like I remember reading about. I forget where I I couldn't find the source for this episode, but I remember reading a specific account of like people going in very elaborate masquerade costumes of different things in the nativity story. So like this one was like a very glamorous star of Bethlehem and like somebody was like a donkey and it was sort of like a Met Gala approach to the nativity, which is, I just love. And like guys, everybody listening to this podcast, you have to make a Met Gala live version of the nativity. Do it. I insist you do it. But this is the this is the thing like this is the kind of artistic challenge right whether you're that little kid who got a paint set on christmas and is going to spend the whole day after painting a a, 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 you know a color by number picture or whether you're having a a a big party on the the sixth because you couldn't get your friends together before christmas because everyone was just too busy and you're going to do your your friends giving equivalent but at christmas then upscale it do do a big masquerade party everyone gonna come in some crazy outfit or wear a silly hat or go as hard as to do like a halloween costume party but with christmasy nativity stuff or 
write your own little play or paint your own picture or, or because I do think that, that at the heart, like the, when we talk about the true meaning of Christmas, what's the true meaning of Christmas? There's a compelling argument to be made here that the true meaning of Christmas is about the sacred and the material radically smashing in a particle collider and creating amazing shit. And you can be a part of that. That's what this season is all about. So uh, with that spirit, we wish you a very merry remaining 12 days of your Christmas. Go forth and create cool things. This has been Created Things, a production of Art, Soul, and Mind, hosted by Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta, produced by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores Popcheck. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on this podcast and the artists featured, follow us on Instagram at Created Things Podcast and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. 